Welcome to Two Countries, One Crime, with your hosts, Caitlin and Bibi. We usually don't record on Fridays. Yeah. And I think you and I are like a lot more relaxed on Fridays. I mean, yeah, personally, my most of my personality is gone because I'm just so tired. Ugh. Your personality is never gone. It always shines through. <laughs> Thank you. Bibi, does it shine through even when I'm asleep? I would say so. I have never seen you asleep, though. I think it'd be really creepy if I had. The closest I've seen you to being asleep was that time I was down in NOLA, and we went out drinking that one time, Mm -hmm. and then you got so drunk that you threw up outside of the car and then went back inside the car and just kind of passed out on the front seat, and Billy drove you home. I did. And I went on with my evening yeah, I don't. I still don't know how you did that because that was not the end of my night in terms of throwing up on things. Um, and by the way, I'm not an alcoholic. Uh, for anyone who's listening, <laughs> I swear to God, I don't drink that much. No, you just, just make, you've lived your life, Caitlin. I made the mistake of uh, thinking that red wine uh, is okay for me to drink, and every time I drink it, I just become a monster that throws up on everything. So it's not me, it's red wine. Per our topic for today, have you ever been a sleepwalker? No. I mean, I have to ask my parents to confirm yeah. this 100%, but I have never heard a story of me sleepwalking, so I'm, I'm going to go ahead and assume that I haven't. But my sister, my younger sister with whom I shared a bedroom growing up, was a sleepwalker. Um, not to a huge extreme, she never like you know went outside in the middle of the night or anything like that, mm-hmm. but... Yeah, she definitely did sleepwalk once in a while. And I, I do remember my parents telling me early on, like, never wake someone up if they're sleepwalking because they can, like, start hitting you. Um, but, yeah. but what about you? Are you? Were you a sleepwalker? I think I was a little bit. Like, I remember my dad telling me that when we moved into a new house, he was always very concerned that I was going to sleepwalk and, like, fall down the stairs or something. Oh, my and- God, Really? Yeah, because I wouldn't know where they were when we first moved there. So, and since we moved, like, incredibly frequently, I guess this was a a concern for him. But I actually do remember this one time, and it was so creepy. I was so fucking creeped out by myself after this. And I didn't even know if I would call it sleepwalking. Like, it was such a weird moment. So, I was in college. Paranormal Activity had just come out in theaters. And... I don't know if you've seen Paranormal Activity, BB. I have, actually. Okay, that movie scared me so bad that I couldn't sleep with the lights out. I had to, like, the night I saw it, I fell asleep with all the lights on. And then over the next couple weeks, I tapered to, like, okay, just the kitchen light and bathroom light. And then, like, just the bathroom. So, basically ruined my life. So, it was after I saw Paranormal Activity. And I in the middle of the night thought I heard the phone ringing and this was in an apartment. There was actually a landline. So I went over to it and I just stood there and it was like three in the morning and I was waiting for it to ring through and for whoever was calling to leave a message so I could like see what's going on. And I just stood there and stood there. And then finally I was like, no message. And then I looked at like the phone log and it actually hadn't been ringing. I just like thought it was. Oh, that's really creepy. And so then I went back into the bedroom and just stood next to the bed 
for like a while and then I kind of woke up completely and was like oh my god I'm standing next to the bed like the freaking girl paranormal activity when she's just standing there and they speed up the footage and she's just like doing this little bobbing back and forth I was like ah that's me I was so scared it was horrible how old were you when this happened um probably like 20 19 yeah mm-hmm. okay so speaking of movies that scared the shit out of us okay so when i was in college so i had i had uh, these two friends rachel and mike and we hung out all the time our other friends called us the gruesome threesome uh, <laughs> <That's dope. laughs> and we would do these like movie nights and we would take turns picking which movie we wanted to watch and I am not somebody who likes scary movies like as much as I can watch like three true crime documentaries in a row like don't ask me to watch um horror movies it's not my thing Mm -hmm. but Rachel loved them and Mike liked them as well and so one time I think it was Rachel's turn to pick a movie and she picked Insidious which was out in theaters at the time Mm -hmm. and I couldn't say no and I, yeah, I slept with the, with the lights on for a week and I actually had, when we came back from the movie, we, we were in the same dorms together and I had them escort me to my dorm room. I was like, oh my God, <laughs> it's like, please don't leave me. Here. Like I was, I, oh, it was just awful. Yeah. And then another time we watched Audition which I think is a Korean film, if I'm not mistaken. It's a Korean oh. horror movie where, uh, anyway, that one was also just absolutely horrifying so yeah no I'm really not into paranormal activity to me is not that scary if I'm being honest just because like you can tell it's it's I don't know I mean not that you you can tell insidious is fake the only thing that got me over my insidious fear was have you seen that movie actually yes baby I if I hear tiptoe through the tulips to this day I'm like please I get so scared that scene Oh, when the, the like demon thing is listening to tiptoe through the tulips and he's making his marionettes, yes. I almost perished. I was, I've never been that scared in my life. So yeah, continue. I think I can cure you from your fear. <laughs> so, so in that movie, there's this, and anybody who's listening to this and who's seen Insidious and who are like us and think it's the scariest fucking thing they've ever seen. So there's that old lady, right? Like that old creepy lady in the black veil or whatever. Mm -hmm. Okay. So in real life, that old creepy lady is played by a man who looks like a turtle. And if you (laughs) Google him and you just look at the actor in real life, it just, it just, the whole illusion vanishes. And ever since I've seen this actor, I am no longer scared at all by this lady and by like the movie generally so but yeah but thanks Rachel for um giving me nightmares <laughs> oh my god yeah I'm I love scary movies but I'm also this most scared person so it's it's a struggle for me but um yeah I I love them though I love like the story so much like the idea of astral projecting is like so fascinating it is pretty cool but yeah, an insidious paranormal activity. I don't know how you didn't think that was scary. That movie was so real. It was just real, real video. Oh my God. Oh, I still have trouble putting my toe out from under the sheet because like the, the demon thing like pulls her out by the foot. Oh. I'm just not scared of ghosts. 
oh my god, I'm the most scared of... Well, I'm not scared of ghosts. I'm scared of demons. Like, this demon in Paranormal Activity, they put the flower down on the floor, and he has little chicken feet. Oh god, I'm scared of that. I'm not scared of, like, the ghost of, like, Billy's grandmother. I'm scared of the chicken-footed fucking demon that goes and writes on the Ouija board. Oh, it's such a scary movie. Okay. But think about, about I mean, think about it though. Like, I don't know. I'm not, I'm, I mean, are you afraid of chicken in your life? Like, are you afraid of? <laughs> no, but I'm afraid of an invisible demon that has chicken feet. Yeah, but how big can the demon be if it's got chicken feet? You know what I mean? Okay, its feet aren't literal chicken feet. They're like <laughs> dinosaur feet. Okay, it changes to dinosaur feet. God. <laughs> I didn't know oh, you were so I'm trying to rationalize paranormal activity for you. Hey, if the demon was the size of a chicken, I would not be scared of it. But in my my assumption is that it's large. Now I'm just imagining a little demon chicken. Me too. Just running around. That's so dumb. Oh uh, my god. You're going first this week, by the way. Are you ready? Okay, I was actually going to say you should go first, and it's because your case predates mine and um so i feel like you should go first because i think my case is actually going to refer back to elements of yours got it but then in that case let's apologize to our listeners because the last episode i went first yeah the next episode they're about to hear i also go first oh they'll be fine and now this one i'll go first so maybe you should just always go first no, I mean, no. Okay. I like I like alternating because also, like, I usually have a drink while we record these. Mm-hmm. And so if I go second, I'm always, like, a little bit more buzzed and therefore mm-hmm. a little bit more true, 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 true. comfortable. Do you want to take a shot really quickly? I also promise that I'm not alcohol. You know, I can't take shots. <laughs> know, right? What do you mean? I can't, I can't do shots. I just can't do it. Like, I will immediately feel queasy and unwell. <gasps> and I've, like, oh. never been able to do it, really. Like, I am a wine or a beer drinker, but even, like, cocktails, like, any hard alcohol at all is actually really difficult for me. Really? That's so interesting. I didn't even start drinking beer until I was 20. Hold on. Can you hear Pepper? I can't. Okay. She, because of the sandwich that I had in here, she's laying outside the door and she's just crying for a sandwich. Oh, no. It's all gone, Pepper. It's all gone. You know what? I'm going to start a movement. Give Pepper a sandwich. Uh, baby, this movement is already happening. Like, she has all the food. She's morbidly obese. Uh, Do you want to tell the folks about Pepper and her and her weight woes? Everyone, Pepper is 80 pounds, and she needs to be 70 pounds. When she hit 70, the vet told me to stop feeding her all the goddamn time. And I said, she loves it. And she said, food is not love. And now she's 80 pounds, so you can kind of get a sense of how that's going. Well, I think she's fabulous. I agree. Now I can hear her. Okay, yeah, that was a loud one. Oh, she's really sad. She just wants a sandwich. Pepper wants a sandwich. I'm going to put that on a t-shirt. I'm going to put that on a t-shirt. Pepper wants a sandwich. Yeah, with a picture of her and all her fat rolls. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, she's, I love her. I ate the whole sandwich. Now I feel bad. She'll be fine. Okay, she'll be fine. Bibi, tell us when you were sleeping. Yes, while you were fa- sleeping. Which, incidentally, what? it's it's actually my favorite Sandra Bullock movie. 
what? Yeah, I know. Oh, no, sorry. Miss Congeniality is my favorite Sandra Bullock movie. Okay. But While You Were Sleeping is probably second, and The Proposal is probably third. Oh, my God. The Proposal is so amazing. Oh, what a, an all-star ensemble cast. It's true. Um, but you know what? I'm, I'm going to say this, and I already know you're not going to like it. Oof. I do enjoy Two Weeks Notice. Okay. I get it. Okay. I get it. I do. Yeah. No, no judgment here. Okay. I also like Speed. You know what? I think I've seen Speed. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. It actually aged pretty well. Okay. Yeah. So growing up, my older brothers and I would always rent the same VHS tapes from yeah. our school library. Mm-hmm. It was always either Speed or Kindergarten Cop. So oh, I have seen, cups. God, yeah. I have seen those movies like fifty five thousand times. Um, anyway, all right, <laughs> so I will get on with the show. Okay, so while you were sleeping, okay, so obviously this week we're covering murders where uh, the sleepwalking defense was used. So my sources are Wikipedia, the Chicago Tribune, City News, the Associated Press, and the public records of the Supreme Court case R.V. Parks, as well as a book called Nightmare Land, Travels at the Borders of Sleep, Dreams, and Wakefulness, which I actually think is a pretty cool. Yeah, that sounds really good. Title. Okay, so there are not a ton of cases that have used the sleepwalking defense. According to Wikipedia, only 69 such cases have been reported until 2005. So I don't know if since 2005 there have been more, but for whatever reason it stopped at at that year. Um, Of those, only 35 were proven to be true, or true in quotations. Okay, that's actually more than I was expecting. Yeah, I mean, that's half. Yeah, that's like a lot, don't you think? I think that's a lot. One of these is the story of Kenneth Parks and his in-laws, Barbara Ann and Dennis Woods. And I just want to give a shout out to the name Barbara Ann. I love that. I actually love that name. I mean, I wouldn't name my kid Barbara Ann, but I just, I think it's such a wonderful name. No one, no one's called that anymore. Okay. And if we could afford the rights to that song, I would play a clip of Barbara Ann on this podcast, but I can't. So I was so old when I figured out that they were saying Barbara Ann. I thought it was like a chick named Barbaran. I, I bet you anything there's some listeners right now who are like, I was today years old when I realized Barbara. that they were saying Barbara Ann. Yep. Anyway. Probably. All right. So 1987 was a stressful year for 23-year-old Kenneth Parks. He had developed a gambling problem during the summer of the previous year and soon found himself in dire financial problems. To hide his addiction and mounting losses from his pregnant wife, Karen, Kenneth began depleting funds from the family savings account. When this wasn't enough, he began embezzling from his employer, Revere Electric, managing to divert $30,452. That's $60,335 in today's money, which is about $47,000 US. That's nice. It's quite a bit. Good for him. Uh, this money was immediately gambled away at the racetrack. Kenneth. Uh, yeah. And his employer eventually caught wind of the fraud and fired Kenneth in March 1987, about a month or two after his daughter was born. Uh, Kenneth and Karen were left with no choice but to sell their house in order to make restitution to Revere. Okay. 
So both Karen and Kenneth were close with Karen's parents, Barbara Ann and Dennis Woods. However, they had not told them about Kenneth's gambling addiction or their financial issues. Kenneth began going to Gamblers Anonymous meetings and announced his plans to tell his grandmother about his issues on Saturday, May 23rd, and then his in-laws the following day. This is what happened on Sunday, May 24th instead. Is that pepper again? I'm so sorry. I don't... <laughs> I'm so sorry. We're just going to accept this as part of, the, of today's program. Oh my program. God. Okay. Okay, so very early in the morning, Kenneth drove the 23 kilometers, also known as 14 stupid miles, from his home in Pickering, Ontario, to his in-laws' home in Scarborough, Ontario. So quick fact, Scarborough, like that's where the Paul Bernardo, Carla Homolka, serial rapist murders are from. Yeah, so to this day, Scarborough does not have a great reputation. <laughs> this drive would have taken between 15 to 20 minutes. Kenneth used his key to get into the home and went to the kitchen to grab a knife, even though he had also brought a tire iron with him. He then went to his in-law's bedroom where he found his father-in-law. He began stabbing and strangling him. Then he turned to Barbara Ann and bludgeoned her with the tire iron. He then stabbed her four times and dragged her a few feet away into the bathroom. Dennis and Barbara Ann's other children, teenage daughters, heard terrifying and animalistic grunts as Kenneth walked by the rooms, left the home, and got back into his car. Covered in blood, he drove himself to the police station. All he said was, I think I have just killed two people. He had, in fact, only killed one. Dennis survived the attack, which is, I, that's incredible. But um, unfortunately, Barbara Ann, having been stabbed in the heart, died before help could be called. She was 42 years old. Oh, my God. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's gruesome. Um, so Kenneth was charged with the second degree murder of Barbara Ann and the attempted murder of Dennis with the trial set for the spring of 1988. He remained in custody during this time. Since Kenneth had turned himself in and the bloody knife was found in his car, prosecutors thought they had a slam dunk and expected a plea bargain. To their surprise, Kenneth and his attorney, Marlise Edwards, I think it's pronounced Marlise, maybe it's Marlis, but I'm just going to say Marlise because I'm not sure. They pled not guilty by reason of sleepwalking. They argued that he was automatistic and not criminally liable. Okay, so automatism is an actual legal term, and this is a definition, definition as I took from Wikipedia. <laughs> so uh, automatism, which I'm also probably saying automatism? Uh, yeah. Automatism? Automatism? Automatism is a rarely used criminal defense. It is one of the mental condition defenses that relate to the mental state of the defendant. Automatism, automatism can be seen variously as lack of voluntariness, lack of culpability, so unconsciousness, or excuse. Automatism means that the defendant was not aware of his or her actions when making the particular movements that constituted the illegal act. Okay, so that's the definition that I have. Um, the case went to trial. The prosecution's theory was a good one. Kenneth was under stress from his gambling addiction and debts and killed his in-laws for a potential financial payout. The sleepwalking claim was either a sham or he knew what he was doing when he killed his in-laws, but had blocked the horrible memory from his mind after the fact. So the prosecution was willing to say like, okay, like maybe he actually doesn't remember this, but it's not because of sleepwalking. It's just because of, uh, trauma 
and he just wants to block this from his memory, but, you know, financial motive, yeah, the financial payout of their deaths would be the motive here, uh, which would only work if they were both dead. Um, Kenneth's story was that he had nodded off while watching TV and that he didn't remember anything that happened after, after that. He even claimed that he was still partially asleep when he turned himself in. He told the officers that he had no idea how he got into the home, he didn't remember using a key, and that he had no reason to harm Barbara and and Dennis. Another fact that worked in Kenneth's defense, he had cut through the tendons of all 10 of his fingers while committing the crime. <gasps> like while he was stabbing, he cut his yeah. own hands. And that is excruciatingly painful, but he actually hadn't realized it until he was at the police station giving his statement and fully awake. So he had cut through all of his fingers oh. and he and it, he really only became aware of the pain once he was at the police station in the middle of giving his statement. So that does give credence to, okay, he mm. definitely wasn't fully conscious um, when he went there. Right. So similar to the Gitzelka case that I covered a few episodes ago, the outcome of this trial was determined by expert testimony. So the defense called on five neurological experts who all testified that due to his history of sleepwalking and Kenneth's unwavering story after the fact, he must have been sleepwalking during the murders. Um, so that's actually something about Kenneth. Like he gave his statement. His story never differed. He never gave like a different, his story never changed after mm. he gave it the first time. Um, a doctor testified that he, that he suffered from a disorder of sleep rather than a neurological, psychiatric, or other illness. This is why the sleepwalking defense is different from the guilty by reason of insanity defense. So guilty by reason of insanity means you're conscious of your crime, but not that it's wrong. Mm -hmm. So the automatism defense means you don't know you did anything at all, let alone a crime. As such, you can't be held liable to a criminal offense. But we'll get back okay. to this. Okay. So Kenneth also underwent an electroencephalogram, or EEG for short, which is a test that records brain activity. Specialists agreed that his readings were highly irregular, even for someone suffering from parasomnia. The prosecution couldn't debate this point because it's impossible to falsify EEGs. According to the Canadian Psychiatric Association, sleepwalking um, is defined in the, in the following ways. So usually originated from slow wave sleep, also known as deep sleep or phase three. And I'm just going to run down through the phases really quickly. So phase one is lightest. It lasts one to seven minutes mm -hmm. and it's when you're just falling asleep. Phase two is light and it lasts about 10 to 25 minutes. Then comes phase three, or deep sleep, which lasts 20 to 40 minutes. Finally, you have REM sleep, which also lasts about 20 to 40 minutes. A sleep cycle can last anywhere from 51 to 112 minutes, and we go through our sleep cycle several times per night. Mm -hmm. It usually occurs, sleepwalking usually occurs in the first one-third of the night. Sexual arousal is not present. Duration of the sleepwalking is usually less than 30 minutes. There is occasional violence, injury, and self-injury. There is walking out of bed, and it happens predominantly in children. So Kevin driving for 15 minutes, murdering his in-laws, and driving to the police station could have occurred in less than 30 minutes. Okay. Multiple people in Kenneth's family were known to suffer from parasomnia well into adulthood 
which is why Kenneth didn't grow out of it like Mm -hmm. most people do. There might be a genetic factor here. What doesn't work as much for me is the whole falling asleep in front of the the TV, but waking up at 4 a.m. Like if he fell asleep at 3.30 a.m., then it does make sense that he'd be sleepwalking by 4 a.m. Okay. I am likely to give this the benefit of the doubt because he did have a five-month-old and could easily have been awake at that time. Like he could have been awake until like 3.30 in the morning yeah. and then was like, oh, I just put the baby to sleep. I'm going to watch TV and then, and then started sleepwalking. But if he fell asleep at 11 or midnight, he would have been sleepwalking more around like 1 a.m. Mm-hmm. and not as late as 4 a.m. If we follow the rule that like it happens in the first like one third of the of the night, if you follow me, I don't know if that was (laughs) clear. No, that makes perfect sense. But I don't know. I do not have a five month old, so if there's someone out there who does and who can tell us if being awake at three thirty makes sense with a five month old, let me know. But it's that sounds like that could happen. Mm -hmm. The jury agreed with the defense and found Kenneth Parks not guilty of second degree murder. The judge then threw out the charge of attempted murder, stating that the prosecution had failed to establish beyond a reasonable doubt that Parks was aware of his actions. Since automatism is not insanity, Kenneth walked away a free man, no jail or psychiatric institution. He was ordered to get treatment for his sleepwalking and he was put on medication. He apparently hasn't slept walked since. Wow. Yeah. The prosecution immediately appealed the decision, stating that the judge failed to label sleepwalking as a mental disorder, which would have generated the defense of not guilty by reason of insanity instead. Mm -hmm. If that had been the case, Kenneth would likely have been found guilty and sent to an indeterminate amount of time to spend in a psychiatric institution. In 1992, R.V. Park sided with the judge and the acquittal was upheld. Sleepwalking is not a mental disorder. If it were, we'd be bringing in 40% of children and 1% to 2% of adults to get evaluated by a psychiatrist. So when you think about it that way, it's like, yeah, it's not really a mental disorder. Mm -hmm. Homicidal sleepwalking is also not a mental disorder, but just an unfortunate and rare consequence of non-insane automatism. I do wonder, though, if he had other issues like like maybe like really deep-seated anger in his subconscious that brought on the violence. Like, I wonder what makes... Uh, a certain sleepwalker become violent mm-hmm. or do something violent and another sleepwalker just walk around their house and stare at their phone thinking, thinking it's ringing. Oh God. You know, like, uh, yeah. <laughs> like what kind of differentiates those two? Yeah. Kenneth and Karen eventually divorced, but Kenneth did go on to have five more children. Um, I'm actually not sure if this was with Karen before the divorce or with somebody else entirely. Um, I didn't really get that level of detail. But yeah, but Kenneth Parks was the first person to be found not guilty by reason of sleepwalking in Canada. And since then, I found three more cases online where men were accused of sexual assault, but found not guilty due, due to sleepwalking. Yeah. But yeah, but this defense is seldom used. It may not feel like there's been justice for Barbara Ann, but at the same time, is there justice putting someone in jail who wasn't in control of his actions at all. Mm -hmm. And I had heard this case covered on other podcasts. And to be honest, I thought it was bullshit when I started Mm -hmm. writing this. Like I was like, no, there's no such thing as homicidal sleepwalking. Like I actually thought he was faking it, but honestly reading all of the effort, all of the evidence, my, my opinion changed. So I'm really curious to hear your case. And I really want to hear your opinion after as to what you think. Like, do you think this is real? (laughs) 
or do you think that this is just a crazy theory, but it's just kind of impossible to prove or disprove and therefore there's enough reasonable doubt. But yeah, but that's actually, that's my case. Like that's, it's pretty short this week, but yeah, like that's the case of, of Kenneth Parks, the first person to be acquitted of murder for, by reason of sleepwalking. So Dennis, what does Dennis have to say about it? I didn't read anything about that. Like I, oh, actually the only thing I did, I did read that. Dennis actually never saw his attacker. Oh, so he didn't even know it was Kenneth? He didn't even know it was Kenneth. Pepper's back. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, like he didn't even know that it was his son-in-law until later on when, when um, I guess the police informed him. Whoa, that's a mind fuck. Yeah. Oh my God. But apparently Karen, Kenneth's wife, stuck by him at least through the trial oh yeah i don't know i'd be like um you killed my parents fuck off like that that's pretty rude i think she she definitely believed the sleepwalking out like um i think it was kenneth's either mother or grandmother but someone said that one time when kenneth was a child or possibly like a young teenager he had actually been sleepwalking and was about to like leap from a window and what? was ca- and was caught by the ankles just in time. But he was like he was through the window, like he was just he was just Whoa. walking out the window, like yeah. So I mean, cl- yeah, so yeah. Th- there were many, many, many reported instances of his sleepwalking. Like this was not the first time he was sleepwalking. And was Karen just home when he left, and like she was yeah. just asleep? Oh my god, that's so fucking weird. Yeah. <gasps> Ooh, hate that journey for her. I, I have to be honest, like the one the one detail that really sticks with me is the fact that he used his key to get into that house. Like, I mean yeah. I mean if you can drive a car while sleepwalking, you could probably use a key to unlock a door. But you would need to wouldn't you need to remember to bring that key? And also like it's not like he used his key every time he went there like that process of unlocking the door for him was not automated so he would have had to have grabbed the key and then gotten there and then put the key in the lock yeah and that's what i found really strange and interesting about sleepwalking crimes is that the experts um and the ones that i'll talk about will say things like, oh, um, well, he did this because it was automated. It was something that he did all the time. But then I'm like, okay, well, committing this crime isn't something he did all the time. So how do we, like, make those two things? How do we fit that square peg into a round hole? Um, I mean, the one thing about this murder, too, that's weird. It's like, yeah, it's like, okay, fine. You drove to your in-law's house. But then why bring a tire iron with you? And why, and why take, stab them when you get there? And why take a <laughs> knife in the kitchen? And then, because the one thing that I was thinking of was like, okay, well, maybe, you know, as as we talked about earlier, like you're not supposed to wake someone up if they're sleepwalking mm-hmm. because they might start hitting you. If he had not had a tire iron or a knife, but he just walked into his in-law's bedroom, and let's yeah. say his mother-in-law wakes up, Barbara Ann, and she's like, Kenneth, what are you doing here? And he starts hitting her. That's one thing, but he wouldn't have killed her. Yeah. probably not like there would have been some day it would have been assault but like he he probably wouldn't have killed her um so yeah so no it's definitely um, this is not perfect at all i do believe that someone 
To me, the, 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 the one piece of evidence that convinced me that he was sleepwalking was the fact that he cut through all of his tendons and his fingers. Yeah. That's so yeah. painful. Like you would just be screaming or you would be in so much, you wouldn't be able to, to focus. So the fact that he was like talking to the police officers and then eventually he's like, oh my God, I'm in so much pain. Like to me, that's mm-hmm. the compelling evidence yeah. that it was automated, but I yeah, mean, it's I think weird. That, yeah, that's really fucking weird. Um, that's so bizarre. Well, let me tell you, let me tell you my case yes. because there are a lot of similarities. I'm just so conflicted because I feel like when I was doing my research, I was like so torn between being like, this guy's full of shit and being like, this guy's too bland to make this up. So I don't know. We'll go through it. We'll go through it. Honestly, uh, you know what they always say, like careful with the bland ones. I know. Like I'm looking at his picture and I was just like, well, you have the BTK glasses. Oh, no. So that's a red flag. Yeah. No offense to any of our listeners who are Mormons, but the Church of the Latter-day Saints a little bit freaky sometimes okay um but in in any case uh, i'll see what you i'll be curious to hear what you think um because it's it's similar to yours in a lot of ways and the reason i wanted you to go first was i didn't know how much you would talk about the experts because the defense experts in my case are from your case wait really Mm -hmm. even though mine are from canada like they yeah yeah wow that's i know i like that Yeah, so actually when I was researching, I had to try like to avoid reading about Kenneth Parks because every single article made a reference to your case. So I would just like skip over it. All right, so mine is the case of Scott Fallader. What a name, Fallader. Not going to lie, when I saw his name written on the sheet, I thought it was Falatar. As did I, BB, and I was was trying to look it up. So... My first thought was like, it's probably Falatar, but it'd be funny if I call him Falator because he's such a piece of shit, allegedly. Um, (laughs) But so then I was like, well, I'll look it up and then I can decide if I want to make the artistic choice or just call him by his actual name. So I found this article um, to cite my first source, amazing blog called Forensic Files Now. Love it. The author who just goes by RR as far as I could tell opened their article on this particular episode of Forensic Files with this quote about Scott's wife. She loved him enough to adopt a surname that sounds like, well, a brothel worker classification. So I oh. yeah, and I was like, well, I guess it's for later. <laughs> so fucking stupid. So <laughs> we're in January. That's hilarious. <laughs> and a great way to remember how to pronounce it. Oh, brothel worker classification. Don't mind if I do. January 16th, 1997 is when these events take place. So we have Scott Filater, father of two, married to Yarmila Filater, which is quite a mouthful, pun intended. Oh my God. <laughs> so it's January 16th. I'm in, I think they're in Phoenix, Arizona, or like a suburb of Phoenix. Scott comes home from work. This is his recounting of the evening. He came home from work. He ate dinner with his wife and his two kids. Uh, I think they were both like teenagers. He apparently tried to make a computer game for his Mormon youth study group that he led at six o'clock in the morning. And I'm just 
fine. Okay. You can't have fun at six o'clock in the morning. Oh my God. I'm just like imagining this guy with his glasses trying to invent a computer game about Mormonism for teens. And I just can't even get there mentally. But apparently that's what he was doing. So after that, which I don't know if he succeeded at, but based on the next events, I'm guessing he failed. He started watching TV with his wife, Yarmila, who, again, he calls her Yarm for short. Oh, God. I'm like, bro, Mila is built right in there. Please don't call me Yarm. Why do you hate me? Oh, Jesus. Yeah, this guy clearly hated his wife. Right? I mean... He calls her Yarm, for fuck's sake. That's that's evidence. I hope they put that into evidence. Like, the fact that he yes, called her I, Yarm. I'm... I'm bringing that as evidence. I'm presenting that as my primary piece of evidence. Exhibit uh, A. Exhibit A, he calls his wife Yarm because he's a huge asshole. So they're watching TV. Apparently, Yarm is like, hey, honey, can you fix the pool pump? And he's like, oh, sure. So maybe later. So at 9 p.m., he's like, I guess I'll try and do that, fix the pool pump at 9 o'clock at night in January in Phoenix goes out and tries to fix the pool pump. He can't do it. It's too dark or something, whatever. So according to him, he goes back inside. Yarmila has at this point fallen asleep on the couch watching TV. So he gives her a kiss on the forehead and goes upstairs. And he's like, I just crashed. I was so tired from my computer game and pool pump fiddling that he he passes out. Um, And he says it's about 9.45 or 10. So the next thing he knows, it's 11 p.m., and he is being yelled at by police officers, and they're like, get on the ground. And he's like, why? Eventually he does it, and he gets taken to the police station. So what has happened in the meantime between 9.30 and 11 p.m., the cops had been called by the Philaters neighbors because they- it sounds like had- an insult, by the way. I know, right? I'm enjoying saying it. So the cops had been called by the neighbors. They'd come to the Flater residence and found Yarmila floating in their pool. She'd Ooh. been stabbed. She was dead on the scene. There was blood around the pool near the site of the pool pump. Mm. Yes, the very same pool pump that Scott was trying to fix. The Ooh. very same that he fiddled with? The very same. So, devastating. So, I know. So, actually devastating though. She had been stabbed 44 times. Oh my god. Yeah. That's a lot of times. That's a lot of times. And uh so she'd been stabbed in the face, the chest, like all like in this area. Four of the stab wounds were fatal and 12 of them were defensive wounds that were on her hands. Oh my god. So, okay. she'd been stabbed 44 times fighting the whole freaking time. And so that's what the police discovered had happened in the interim when Scott claims wow. that he doesn't remember a damn thing. So now the neighbor, Gary Coons, was the one who called the cops. And this is what he testified. He said that it was about 10, 15 that night um, when he and his girlfriend started hearing these weird noises uh, coming from next door. So he went outside and looked over the fence into Scott and Yarmila's yard, and he saw her 
not in the pool, but laying on the ground nearby. And he sort of looked towards their house and he could see Scott walking through different rooms, like turning on and off lights, like doing stuff in the house. So then he said that Scott, he could see Scott inside the house putting on gloves. Scott comes out the house, walks up to the wife's body and just kind of stands there for a minute. And then he rolls her into the pool. Oh my God. And holds her head underwater. Whoa. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So this is what the neighbor says he saw happened. He calls the cops and reports this. And so cut to Scott. He's standing in his living room or something being like, I heard the dogs barking. What's all the kerfuffle? And uh, the kerfuffle was that he had murdered his wife. So can you imagine being that neighbor and witnessing that murder? That's horrifying. Yeah. Oh my God. But also, sorry, because you said the stab, the, the four of the stab wounds had been fatal. He didn't need to drown her. No. And okay. So yeah, when I say four of the stab wounds were fatal, so her cause of death the examiner put it to both stabbing and drown and being drowned. Okay. So, uh, and when I read that, it mentioned that four of the stab wounds were to like her heart and lungs. So while she may not have been dead yet, she was bleeding out. She was bleeding out. And yeah, like her lungs were collapsing. Um, so she would have died. Whether or not she actually, like, the death knell was like, the drowning, the water, or just bleeding out, it's not clear. So they just kind of said both. Okay. Um, but yeah, so he did not need to do that. Like, there was no way she was walking away from that or surviving at that point. So it was unnecessary. So they take Scott to the police station and he's like, what? I did what now? And they're like, hey, you literally have blood on you. And he's like, I do? So it's just a whole fucking ridiculous Is this thing. videotaped? Or recorded? <laughs> it probably is, and I definitely want to check it out. Uh, I honestly, I don't know what his voice sounds like, and I think I'm doing a voice that's, like, too much of, like, a fat man voice because he was actually looked, like, a little bit small. But anyway, um, so, you know, the cops come. He's like, I have no idea what's going on. When the cops are on the scene and they're, like, investigating, they find bloody clothes and the murder weapon, which was a hunting knife. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's huge, too. It's fucking terrifying. They found his bloody clothes and hunting knife in a Tupperware. What? In the trunk of the car, which I was just like, why is that? Something about that strikes me as the most Mormon thing ever is just being like, well, I should put this in a Tupperware. Yeah, I don't want blood all over my <laughs> trunk. i going to have to get it detailed. So, I'm not going to so, miss this Tupperware. I'm a Mormon. I have endless supplies of Tupperware. Exactly. I imagine they have a pantry that's just all Tupperware top to bottom, and he just puts his bloody clothes in it, puts his hunting knife in it, and he's like, well, that's done. On to the next. Gotta go pretend to be asleep. So, Man, if you are so straight-laced that even in your sleep, you think of putting a bloody weapon into a Tupperware next level sorry keep going. I, I know and I totally agree with you and that's so that's where I'm like what really happened because he's so fucking boring that he uses Tupperware in his sleep I mean so I love Tupperware I, I gotta be me honest me too me too me too I, I mean, prefer course, Pyrex like, you know I'm a Pyrex yeah. gal mm-hmm. 
yeah, better for the environment. That's yeah, for sure. For sure. But you know, I don't mind Tupperware. No, but it's like, imagine that even your sleeping personality uses Tupperware. So can you imagine that a guy like that would make up this story that's like pretty cool and interesting? I don't know. I can't, I can't decide. Yeah. You know I what mean, I mean? Do you go one minute from inventing a really cool game for your Mormon youth group <laughs> to using Tupperware? I don't know. His game was probably about the dangers of like not using Tupperware and it was just a, one big metaphor for like sex before marriage. <laughs> um <laughs> Oh, gosh. Anyway. <laughs> Your body is a temple. Use Tupperware. Those Your are the pillars. Your body is a Mormon temple. Um, okay, so so that's, that's the gist. That's the crime. That's what happened for Scott that evening. Um, so to give a little bit more about the theories the, that, that came up from psychologists. So initially after this happened... Um, they did uh, give him a little bit benefit of the doubt and took him to a sleep research center. Um, similar to Kenneth Parks, they studied his brain and found abnormalities that were consistent with sleepwalkers. Um, okay. And so at this point, his defense of sleepwalking had actually been brought up by his sister, who was like, my brother would never do this. Like, he's so gentle. He's so loving. He and his wife, like, were so in love. He would never do this. But I remember when he was younger, he would sleepwalk from time to time. And one time when he was sleepwalking, I tried to, like, stop him from going out the door. And he just, like, threw me across the room. So his sister is the person who brought this up. And his mom was like, oh, yeah, I remember him doing things like he would. One time he came down stairs at like midnight completely nude and was like hey I gotta go to school and they were like no you're sleeping yeah um, did, did one one time did he sleepwalk and take a hunting knife and kill the family dog or something <laughs> that's exactly what I wrote down I was like he <laughs> came downstairs nude so that means he used a hunting knife to very much overkill his his wife yeah I'm uh quite there <laughs> actually I meant to write this person's name down but I think forgot so we will look it up and we will post it on our Instagram but my friend actually just I told her we were working on this topic she showed me this uh woman who's on TikTok who and you know we don't neither of us know TikTok we're nope. too old it's fine but she showed it to me and she will post TikToks of her home security footage because she's a sleepwalker. And it's the funniest goddamn thing I've ever seen in my life. Once we post this, everyone must check her out. But her sleepwalking, first of all, and I hope she did this in preparation for TikTok, she wears the most hilarious pajamas. She's yes. like at least 30 years old. And she is wearing a zip-up onesie that has like, pegasus wings on the back oh and it is the funniest thing and it's got footsies on it so she's walking around her her house on her security camera yelling at her like fiddle leaf fig plant in her oh living room and being like come at me bro come at me it is so funny um but you know what she doesn't do stab her plant so and then put the knife in tupperware and then, and then put, put the, the plant in tupperware 
and then and put and her then, onesie in the Tupperware. And puts her onesie in the, that's right. Mm-hmm. It is so funny though. So highly recommend that. Um, but so yes, they, they establish he has done some sleepwalking activities in his life. Um, okay, I guess I, we can make that leap. So one of the <laughs> one of the experts for the prosecution though testified that for a sleepwalker, uh, the wife's screams of pain and the barking of the dog would have woken him up. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I guess that's up for debate. So now I want to go back and talk about Rosalind Cartwright, whose name you probably came across because she was one of the Canadian psychologists that worked on the Kenneth Parks case. So she was hired by the defense and she totally believes in Scott's innocence. So her theory is that Scott, while sleepwalking, went back over to that old difficult pool pump to try and fix it in his sleep. He uses a hunting knife for this purpose. And Yarmila wakes up from the couch and is like, hey, why are you stabbing our pool pump with a hunting knife? And his fight or flight impulse kicks in and he starts attacking her. So that's her belief. Okay. So her belief. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's what that's what she thinks. I and guess don't bring a pool pump to a knife fight. <laughs> oh my god! Is the lesson I'm learning here? Don't let your husband have a hunting knife if he's a repressed Mormon. Oh yeah, that's good. So, oh my gosh, did I accidentally delete the name of her book? I'm going to be so annoyed at myself. Okay, no, I didn't. Um, So, Rosalind Cartwright actually ends up being one of my sources, which I didn't realize at first I was reading this book excerpt, and I was like, okay, who am I going to cite for this? It's the defense psychologist who is in love with this man, I'm convinced. So, this is what, this is according to her book, The 24-Hour Mind. And the subtitle is like something like how dreams and nightmares affect our emotional behavior. And I'm like, you mean your physical behavior of murdering people? But that's fine. So remember, we're in 1997. Scott works at Motorola. And oh, wow. I know. He was ahead of his time. <laughs> so in this book, she says that Scott was stressed out because at work for Motorola, he's managing a project to develop. A new computer chip. So 1997, I could almost not bear it. So according to her, Scott was having trouble with this project. And he felt that Motorola had not acted quickly enough. The competitors are already bypassing them. He felt morally obligated to tell the company that the project was not going to succeed. However, however... He was too afraid to do so because it would make him look like a loser who's bad at his job, and so it would wound his fragile male ego. So this is the conundrum that he's struggling with. He can't sleep because he wants to tell the company that this project is a failure, but then he would have to admit that he's a failure, and he cannot do that. So he's he's so disturbed over his computer chip that he can't sleep. Then... He starts taking caffeine pills, which is not allowed if you're a Mormon. It's not? No, you can't have caffeine. Oh. Yeah. Oh, my God. So, Um, and by the way, in this book, this, the, like, 
five pages I read were so frequently peppered with the word youngster that I just almost don't believe this woman is the psychologist. Like, it's just so horrible. Please stop (laughs) using the word youngster. Rosalind, if you're out there, you say youngster too much. So as I mentioned, she is just obsessed with him. Like, she thinks he's so innocent and so amazing at computer chips and in full support. So now this is according to her. She said that on the night in question, Scott went home and he told his wife about his morally devastating work problem. And she said, just tell them what they want to hear. Honey, just tell them that it's on track. Go with it. Honey, have you tried putting it in Tupperware? (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) I'm sorry. I can't get over that. I can't get over the Tupperware thing. I really... I, I'm stuck on that. He said, of course, that was the first thing I tried, Yarm. <laughs> Who do you think I am? So, so he's having this, this deep, deeply disturbing moral problem, and his wife brushes him off. And she says, honey, it's a computer chip. Just tell them it's going fine. No one even knows how those work anyway. Fake it till you make it. And he said, I've gone along with this long enough. So they're both upset. Okay. Neither one of them leaves this discussion happy. So. Wait, he admits to this? Well, actually, that's a great fucking question because this is all in Rosalind's book. So I would assume that she heard this from him, but. You said they had children, right? Yeah, they do. How old are the children? Um, They're like teenagers, but they said that they didn't hear their parents arguing. Okay. But that checks out because, I mean, in my mind, this discussion is him being like, Oh, I think my project's gonna fail and she's like it's fine and he's like no it's not let's watch tv so I don't think they like argued about it so much as Rosalind gave like a dramatic overview of them disagreeing on this subject so and this leads to her next part of her theory which is that Scott is feeling emasculated he's a failure at computer chips his wife doesn't understand his moral desperation So she says, honey, can you fix the pool pump? And he says to himself, Scott, at least you can do this thing right. Go out there and be a man and fix the pool pump. But he can't do it. Mm. So (laughs) that's, that's where Rosalind's at. So then apparently he goes to sleep and is so torn up He's sleep-deprived because of his problem at work. He's torn up about the pool pump, so in his sleep, he's going to go fix it. So, however, just a little sidebar interesting thing that I read in one article. The prosecutor apparently at some point mentioned that a coworker of Scott Filater was prepared to testify that he had actually brought up Kenneth Parks' case at work a few weeks before his wife's death. So he was most likely aware that this was a thing that that could work. So, um, you know, from his friends and family perspective, everyone was like mind boggled by this crime. They were all like they loved each other so much. They were a great family. Um, You know, their kids were happy and healthy. The kids were like our parents were great. Our dad would not do this. Um, Oh, that's sad. I know. I I think that's actually the saddest part when the kids are, you know, the kids have lost their mother and they're like, we don't think our father would do this. Um, No, they're still in contact with him. Like they still visit him at prison and stuff. Like they're, 
they totally are on his side in this. So, um, you know, from research that I did do, and most of this came from a Phoenix New Times article, um, and this information all came from Scott and from his family members. So despite what friends and family say, their marriage is fucking perfect. Uh, nothing is wrong here. That's not exactly true. Their marriage wasn't perfect. So, Well, there's no such thing as perfect. So yeah. already if somebody says their that's marriage true. was perfect, that's like a red flag immediately. Okay, and I also wrote down red flag in all caps under this quote, which was from one of her friends. So one of her friends is like, no, nothing was ever wrong. I would say to her, come on, Yarmila, there's got to be something that drives you nuts. And she would just say, nope, he's just a really great guy. Which that's what? So no, no one ever says that to their friend. It's just so weird. So yeah, yeah, on the surface, their marriage was perfect. But according to Scott, the history of their relationship is thus. So they are in Illinois, they're high school sweethearts. They decided to marry. They both went to separate colleges, but they were still together. So they decided before their senior year of college, they're going to get married. But then Scott becomes the possibly first person in history to be converted to Mormonism by missionaries. Mm. And I don't know if you have this in Canada, but in America, two Mormons will just ride around on bicycles and come up to your house and knock on the door and like, cute little suits and bikes and try and convert you. I've never seen them on bikes. Yeah, they're always they on do, bikes in America. I don't know. They why. do come around. Okay. Do, yeah. So so Scott was taken in by this, which is just the most Scott thing I've ever heard. So he gets into Mormonism. And Yermila is like, no, I'm not really into that. And they almost don't get married. But according to Scott, she softened enough to go through with it. But she didn't soften enough to really be on board because apparently after they were married, if Scott's Mormon friends came over, she wouldn't hang out with them. She would like leave. She'd be like, enjoy talking about sacred underwear or whatever. And I'm actually going to go. So she clearly was not really, I just found it very interesting that he said she softened I don't know. I thought that was a very odd way to describe getting someone to marry you. Yeah. So eventually, according to Scott, again, emphasize that, they, on a vacation, they made a little stop in Salt Lake City, as you do, and went to a Mormon service. And she was apparently, like, so moved by the description during this service of sealing... Blech, which is a Mormon term for eternal matrimony mm. that she was like, oh, I love that. So she got baptized in the church and they got sealed, which I don't know why, but that just makes my skin feel icky. Yeah, there's something about, I mean, yeah. I don't like that term. It creeps me out. Sealed. Mm. So so here we have Yarmila. She wasn't really into Mormonism. She doesn't like his Mormon friends, but apparently she decides she wants to get sealed. I know. I know. It sounds so gross. Okay. So, so another thing about Yarmila, she was really smart. She wanted to go into medical radiology. And after college, when they were married, she initially worked in a lab. She did parasitology and hematology, which sounds super cool. Like she's obviously an intelligent woman. So, 
Do I think that after 27 years of marriage, Yarmila's got two kids and she living in Arizona, she's a preschool aide for her job. And she's married to somebody who's always at church that she's not really into. Do we think she's super happy? I personally don't think that sounds like the perfect marriage. Yeah, I just feel like there's so much backstory that's missing about how she got pulled out of her medical career and put into Mormonism and becoming a preschool aide, which is obviously like being a preschool aide is probably hard, but totally different. Mm -hmm. Like it's such a different skill set that I can't imagine that she would be happy doing both of those things. So Scott also mentions that during earlier years of their marriage, he was controlling and arrogant and never around for her. So he sounds like he kind of sucks, but he's like, no, we made it work. We made it work. Yeah. Well, the other person in the story can't talk about it. So I know. Right. That was my thought too. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, when you say Yarmila wanted to do the sealing ceremony, did she, or did you just make her do that? Because apparently you're controlling and arrogant sometimes. So it's like all these things that just don't fit together for me. So ultimately though, the jury found him guilty of first degree murder. So first degree in uh, Arizona, I mean, premeditated. Yes. Okay. So they thought he even planned it. It wasn't a crime of passion. Yes. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah. So, and one of the theories that I read was that he was planning to murder her, have her, and then like go to sleep. And then the kids would wake up and find her in the pool and just be like, what happened? A stranger must have killed our mom. So it's been said that 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 was something he was planning and then that didn't work out. So he had to just be like, I'm I'm asleep now. I'm sleepwalking. Oh, I see, I see, I see. Okay. Speculative. So, but what, Mm. what um, some of the jurors said after the trial was they could believe that he stabbed his wife. Like they could, they could sort of get to the point where they were like, yeah, maybe in sleepwalking, he stabbed his wife, but they couldn't get past the fact that he stabbed her, went inside, changed his clothes, put on gloves, came back and drowned her. That was too many steps for them to wrap their minds around. Okay. Yeah. I could, I mean, yeah. I mean, obviously the thing I'm getting the most stuck with is who has the foresight of putting the knife in Tupperware so that it doesn't... Well, okay, here's the thing. I'm assuming that the knife was put in Tupperware in the trunk of the car so that he could eventually dispose of it somewhere and it wouldn't leave any blood stains in the trunk. However, it's also possible that if we're going with the narrative that he was sleepwalking, he literally just did something that didn't make sense when he was sleepwalking, which was to put a knife in a Tupperware and then put it in the trunk of a car. Like, yeah. It's like, you can, you can kind of see it either way. The thing that I, the thing that makes me think that this was not premeditated, how do you stab someone 44 times? To me, like, that's either like, I don't know. I just feel like that's like such an angry crime of like passion or something like. Yeah. Yeah. I hear it, that. Yeah. Cause there was so much overkill. Like, I feel like if you're going to premeditate, if you're going to kill some, like if you're going to plan to kill someone, you're not going to plan to do it in a way that is so horrible and bloody that it's going to leave evidence everywhere. Yeah. That, and that's the thing, like, uh, that's, it's so hard. I can't decide where I land on it because after digging more into it and finding out like, okay, maybe their marriage wasn't great. Like, and he's having all these problems at work. Like maybe he's just reaching a fucking breaking point 
where he's, it doesn't sound like he's that far off from being a family annihilator type. Like you and I have talked about that before, you know, he's struggling at work. He's struggling to just do his like husbandly duties at home. Yeah. Whatever he, he's very involved in this church. His wife is not involved in it. Like I could imagine that that would be really difficult and like drive you apart in your marriage so there's that but it also seems so mundane like but it's also mundane and it's also like you're saying it's so stupid it's like if he wanted to kill his wife I, i don't know it just seems like if he if he was trying to really plan this and kill his wife or even do it in a moment of i don't know it's just so sorry yeah you said that he changed his clothes between when he stabbed her and when he drowned her yeah okay yeah that's problematic that is problematic for me that he disposes of the knife and well disposes you know what i mean he puts it somewhere yeah and he changes his clothes i mean yeah that is a lot i mean like in um in kenneth park's case he just drove straight to the police station and he still he was still covered in blood like he was still like i don't yeah. What just happened. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, it, it's hard to reconcile that with the automatism issue that is brought up, like brought up in your case, and it was brought up in mine as well. So an argument for is, oh, he kept those clothes in the trunk of his car. So it was mm-hmm. like a pair of jeans that he would wear when he was doing work around the house. So let's say he had those jeans on to fix the pool pump. If it was, it may have felt automatic for him to return them to the trunk of the car, but it also doesn't fit with that because it's like, because he stabbed someone. So that like really disrupts Mm -hmm. the whole automated thing. Like if he was really just moving, doing these rote and robotic movements, he wouldn't have murdered his wife, gone inside, put his fucking pajamas on, put his pants away, come back outside and rolled her into the pool. Yeah. Like, by that point, your fight or flight is, it's no longer happening, right? Like, if the argument is that she scared him and he stabbed her, he kept, he still kept going with the crime when he came back. Like, that's what I can't really wrap my mind around. (laughs) Did he have any injuries? Yes, he did. He had an an injury on his hand that while he was asleep, he put a Band-Aid on. Okay. And he was like, this Band-Aid? Oh my god, I don't remember putting it on. That's so weird. (laughs) Okay, again... Comparing it to Kenneth Parks, who cut open his yeah. entire, <laughs> all of his fingers and who, like, didn't really didn't feel notice. a thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, like, as much as, like, for Kenneth Parks, I came at the end of it and I was like, yeah, like, I, I think I believe him. Or at least, like, I believe yeah. that there's enough reasonable doubt that I understand why he was acquitted in Scott yeah. Felater's case. Like, I absolutely think it's bullshit. Although there is part of me that... I, I don't, but I don't think that it was first degree. I, yeah, it's such a... He could have just snapped. Yeah, I, that's what I think. Honestly, in my mind, it's like Scott, Scott, part of his background is that he came from a shitty home life. So his dad, like, beat his mom up. He was the oldest. I would imagine he probably, like, took some of that as well. Um, so, you know, we know he grew up in, like, a violent household, He's got this wife who's, like, smart and capable, and he just, you know, breaks her spirit until she's just a Mormon housewife that maybe she didn't want to be. So, yeah, maybe their relationship sucks, and she's, like, mean to him all the time, and he's just a stupid man who can't even fix a pool pump, and he loses it. That's what I think. I know. I just, I don't know. I just find that at the same time, it's like, how many of us have had stress at work? Yeah. And then we come home, and there's something we need to do. 
and we can't do it. Like, like how many times did I have like a stressful day or even week at work and I'm cooking dinner and I like mess it up or something, yeah. but I don't, I don't, I don't get in such a state where I'm like, oh my God, I am a total failure as a woman mm-hmm. and I feel very angry about it. Well, imagine that you are a man instead. A man instead. <laughs> and I'm socialized to be violent. Yeah, that's a good point. Imagine you're a man instead. Your wife's smarter than you and that's not okay. You're a Mormon, so it's doubly not okay. Like, Mormonism is super patriarchal. So like, oh, yeah, I don't know. I just, Are there any Mormons listening to it? I think they probably turned this off, actually. I feel, I feel like we probably angered a lot of Mormons today. I don't know. I'm sorry, Mormons. I don't mean to come for you. I just think this guy sounds like an asshole, and he's probably one of those assholes who joins a church because he feels less like an asshole when he's going to church. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, BTK was really involved in his religious community. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And we know that, you know, he was the worst. So, and he was also, like, Scott reminds me of BTK in a lot of ways because he's just your average Joe and BTK didn't like harm his kids. You know, he apparently loved his kids as much as he can love anything. Yeah. Um, you know, just these average guys who, yeah. So maybe who knows, maybe if Scott was smarter, he would have, uh, murdered other people, but instead he murdered Yarm. I'm just so confused by this case. Like were they, were the children at home? Yes, they slept through the whole thing. That's what I mean. When the fucking cops got there. And I'm like, yeah, so... Ugh. Could and not have been premeditated. Like, I... I yeah. It just... I know. It just... That, that part, to me, doesn't make any sense. Like, maybe... Yeah, like, I'm not saying that he didn't think about it. Like, if his coworker did bring up the Kenneth Parks case to him yeah. weeks before, yeah, maybe it crossed his mind. Yeah. But, you know, maybe, yeah, maybe he did at some point snap. He did it. And then immediately he was like, you know what? I heard about that Kenneth Parks guy. <laughs> I'm going to pretend that it wasn't me. I'm going to roll yeah. in the pool. Unfortunately for him, his neighbor was peering over the fence. I'm just the curious, like, if the neighbor hadn't called the police, would Scott have driven somewhere that night and put the knife somewhere? We'll never know. According to him, no, because apparently he went back to his bed after all this because he was emerging from his bed emerging from his bed when the cops got there who who actually knows for all we know he was fucking in the bathroom like washing his hands but yeah but yeah it's an interesting one and another actually i should have pointed this out i didn't get too much into it but so this happened to scott scott did this i should say in 1997 in 1981 in scottsdale arizona not far from phoenix there was a guy who stabbed his wife 26 times, said he was sleepwalking, and was found not guilty. In 1981? Yep. So, so 15 is... years earlier. Wow. So you could see him making that connection and thinking, hey, it worked for that guy. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, it's, it's, I feel like a hypocrite for, like, thinking that in Kenneth's, in, in the Parks case, that, like, it could be true. And then in your case, being like, no. But, like, I definitely see I why somebody would think that. Like, I definitely can see the, the side of the story where, okay, like, he definitely could not have... I, I mean, well, first of all, I definitely see how this was not premeditated. But I still think it's a leap to go from crime of passion to he was sleepwalking, he doesn't remember anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although... You know what? Like, we don't know enough about the brain. Like, maybe it totally is possible to stab someone 44 times 
and then drown them and then change your clothes and put a band-aid on like maybe you can do all of that in your sleep like maybe you can it's just it's just very very difficult to believe in the kenneth parks case like i don't want to get too like graphic or or gruesome but you know when he entered his in-law's bedroom he strangled his father-in-law that's the first thing he did was that he strangled his father-in-law first to and he incapacitated he didn't end up murdering him but it didn't incapacitate him so when he started strangling his mother-in-law there was nobody there to wake her up and say like you know like barbara like wake up like get up you know yeah Um, so i could see how and and he did stab her but he's you know he stabbed her four times which is a lot like you would think that somebody would wake up in that process and also he dragged her body a few feet but stabbing someone 44 times like you would think that yeah like the dogs would be barking she would have been screaming if she had defensive wounds like yeah i i just she made enough noise that the neighbors came out which yeah had to have been a decent amount because neighbors don't like to come out. Yeah. Yeah. She was making a shit ton of noise. It didn't wake him up, apparently. The other thing about the neighbors seeing him turn on the lights, is that something that sleepwalkers do? Turn things on and off? Yes. And I say that based on the TikTok woman I was telling you about. (laughs) (laughs) But she's also turning shit on and off, talking to the air and calling it sugar tits, I think, in one. She's like, what's up, sugar tits? To, like, literally the air. And her dog is just like, what are you doing? But no, I mean, presumably he's walking around his house, turning on the bathroom light to get that Band-Aid, turning on the bedroom light to change into his pajamas from his work jeans that he wears when he's working on committing a crime. And also like the hunting knife, like when they were like, so why would you have this hunting knife when you were sleepwalking? He was like, I must have been trying to fix the pool pump with it. Well, I don't think that's true. I think that's that's maybe something that the defense said, but I don't think that's true. I think that I think that he maybe murdered her next to the pool because let's say okay, let's go with the theory that he was sleepwalking. Okay. He took the knife and he went outside. Yeah. She seeing this is worried because she's like, he's sleepwalking. There's a pool. Yeah. He could drown. <gasps> She goes to him to wake him up. He becomes violent, kills her. To me, that yeah. is way more believable than like him yeah. being like, I took a hunting knife to go fix my pool pump. Yeah. Like that doesn't make any sense to me. I don't know why no. the, the defense would say that. I will say, I, I do think that there is a lack of motive. Like I know, I know yeah. that we talked about like maybe she was unhappy in the marriage or maybe mm-hmm. she was, but like, I think it's a really strong leap to go from like, he was unhappy because she didn't listen to his work problem to like he killed like he just like there might have been another motive that we don't know about is what i'm saying like but i just think that the the motive that was put forth is not super compelling to me yeah no i agree but i still think that if i were a juror on that case i probably still would have found him guilty yeah and from everything i've read he's just in prison and he's like yeah i deserve to be here my neighbor saw me do it so i guess i did but i don't remember so yeah. That's how I just, he's choosing to play it. I would have found him guilty of second-degree murder, though. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's but very true. Americans love those huge life sentences without the possibility of parole. Yay! Actually, the uh, death penalty was only taken off the table in this case because his kids and I think even his mother-in-law, maybe, but family members testified to, like, his character and we're like, please don't put him to death because we don't think that he did this in a awake state. So now he just in prison. He got rid of his glasses, though. He looks a lot better with contacts. <laughs> don't say that. I don't want people writing into him and him getting like... 
I don't know. That's not true. Maybe he needs friends. I don't know. Maybe it's fine. Right to Maybe him. Maybe everyone deserves love. Everyone it's true. deserves love. Even it's people true. who had it and then took it away from themselves via murder. Yeah. Um, That's dark. Fucking, I know. He's a shit. Anyway, but great job. I, uh, <laughs> I'm really glad you covered this case. Yeah, so I guess um, I would love to know what people think, actually, if people want to comment on Instagram or send us an email. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, huge thank you to, um, we have two new donors since the last time I gave an update. So Virginia and somebody (gasps) anonymous who bought us a coffee on uh, buymeacoffee.com. So yeah, so just want to remind everyone that we aim to raise about 1500 uh, Canadian dollars to cover production costs and give a little to charity. And so, yeah, so you can support us on our website, twocountriesonecrime.com, or you can buy us a coffee on buymeacoffee.com slash twocountriesonecrime. I also think you can donate to us on Anchor. So Anchor is one of our platforms uh, and also our distributor, actually. So you can donate there. Multiple ways to support the podcast, but mostly just like rate us and <laughs> follow us and download our episodes. We are now on Apple Podcast, which is on your, actually by the time we, you know, this is live, we'll already have announced this on our Instagram and everything. But today I found out we're on Apple and that is incredibly exciting. So exciting. So listen, everyone, regardless of what you thought of this episode or the ones before it, give us a five-star rating <laughs> because we really need it. Yeah. Don't listen at all and just give us the rating because you know us personally and like us or you just want to be a nice person. Yeah. Help me out. Listen, if this podcast gets off the ground, the amount of funny t-shirts that are going to come from it, I mean, it's worth it. Like, don't listen, just get the t-shirt. That's right. I'm fine with that. But give us five stars. Give us a good rating. Don't hate us. Because we love you. Yeah. <laughs> Any, <laughs> anything else you want to add? No, I really think I should stop talking. <laughs> um, it's almost uh, 6 p.m. for me, and, like, obviously it's winter, so as we're recording this, the screen gets darker and darker, and I'm literally about to disappear into the darkness. Like, yeah. I, can, I can barely see myself in the You screen. look like a beautiful vampire. Ooh. I'm not into vampires, but I'll accept the compliment anyway. What do you mean you're not into vampires? Like, tell me more about that. I'm just not into that kind of genre. Like, like I read the Twilight series and it was fine. Hated okay. the movies. Yeah. Um, oh my God, those movies are so bad. Yeah, I'm just like not, like True Blood, all that stuff. I've never been into that, so. That's true. I didn't watch True Blood. I've been trying to listen to Interview with a Vampire audiobook. Because it was, I I had one credit left on Audible, so I just got the longest book I could find, which was Interview with a Vampire. You should have taken the Bible. Oh, should I have? (laughs) I'm good. Maybe if Scott Folater starts doing audiobooks from prison. Who did that? Like, Jeffrey Dahmer, I think, did that. What? No, it was Ed Kemper. I swear. It was Ed Kemper, I think, recorded audiobooks from prison. That's incredibly creepy. Like, for free. Like, it wasn't, like, his books or anything, but he, that was one of his, like, work program things was that he recorded audiobooks. So, anyway, on that note, I guess we should sign off. Yes. Well, thanks very much for listening, everybody, if you made it this long, this far. If you made it this far, and remember, don't hate us because we love you. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye.